Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us do what we like to do most, which is talk about loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore the fascinating subject of informal loyalty programs, where brands have decided that the formal structure of a one-size-fits-all approach is not for them. To help me explore this fascinating subject, I'm joined by a panel of experts with direct experience of developing informal loyalty strategies. So please welcome Adam Posner. Hi, Adam. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. And uh, Phil Gunter. Hi, Phil. Hello, Ian. And uh, Mark Ross-Smith. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. G'day. Great to be back again, Ian. Brilliant. So to get us started tonight, can, who would like to explain what we mean by non-formal loyalty? Phil, would you like to give that a go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we all, we all know what a, what a formal program is. A formal program has a, has a, a structure which often has points or tiers, something that, you, that is published. Um, and quite simply, uh, informal or sometimes called a covert program is, is where you have, you're trying to achieve the same things. You're trying to achieve uh, increased activity. You want to collect customer data. You want to collect insights. So you're trying to, the objectives are the same, but you don't have a formal published structure, which, which people can see and, and understand. Brilliant. Okay. And uh, can we each then give a quick introduction to ourselves and examples of projects that you've worked on in this space? So Adam, do you want to start us off with that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I'm Adam, um, as you've uh, been introduced to me. Um, I'm a loyalty specialist uh, consultant here in Melbourne, Australia, helping brands uh, make more money from the, the value of their existing customers. And I do that through consulting and um, research. And I'm also author of the For Love or Money research study. And yeah, I've had uh, hands-on experience with my, uh, um, how Phil has explained, an informal program, or as he said, at Covert, uh, with a hotel group who um, you know, had a points program, had structures and had tiers, and it just was failing abysmal, abysmally and, and uh, costing them a lot of money. But because they had data, and this is the, cre- the key point, they knew their customers based on their stays and who they are. They had PID, they personally personal identified data, we could actually segment their base based on stays and actually create silent tiers and, and then drive what we called a recognition and reward program with surprise and delight. So we could still recognize and reward uh, the people for staying frequently, even though they didn't know that they were on their 20th stay or their 100th stay, um, and drive outcomes, as Phil mentioned, uh, based on you know um, surprise and delight and getting that real engagement. So that's just a quick snapshot of, of a program that I worked on. And that's because they had name and address details of each. They had individual identifiers because of the nature of the booking process. Nature of the business. So the brand has exactly, you have to give your first name, your surname, your contact details, and then you've got a book. So you've got the purchase behavior and you've got the PID, the personalized identified data. So you've, you've got the information, you've got the data to drive the behaviors. And you can tier them. So yes, is the answer. It's because Perfect. they've got that, that data. Perfect. And uh, Mark? Hi, everyone. Mark Rossmith, currently CEO and co-founder of statusmatch.com. Uh, we work with global travel brands to help them acquire new high-value customers. Uh, I've worked in airline loyalty for about eight years now. Uh, prior to that, in telco loyalty, where I built up a, a tech company and we had a successful trade sale in 2013. Um, Interesting, I've worked on creating status tiers, uh, both a, a formal, a new status tier, like a, a formalized program, and an unpublished status tier, both in airlines. So I've kind of seen the difference in uh, how they both play out and the economics for both and the, the use case that's used internally to create or not create a formalized uh, loyalty tier. Perfect. And, uh, and Phil? 
And yeah, Phil Gunter, um, I've designed and managed some some very, very successful formal programs, um, including Burden's program in Australia and and uh, managed American Express membership rewards for a while. Um, but I've, I also, um, I, I'm public on the record of saying that, that most loyalty programs actually either fail or at least don't achieve their their potential. And I frequently, I'm a consultant now, and I frequently advise clients um, to that that they don't need a formal program and they can actually achieve their objectives much easier using a, a covert or informal sort of structure. I'll give you a, a, a similar example, I guess. Um, one one was a, a, a New Zealand retailer where they had the perfect system in place to collect data and customer to identify themselves. And so they were able to do everything they wanted without the complexity of, of the currency or the points or the rewards. Um, and another one was a quick service restaurant chain where the program which they were looking at was simply going to over reward people that were totally maxed out and couldn't buy anything more with them um, and would be completely irrelevant to the people the, the long tail. And so for them, it was the covert program was was necessary, not just because it, it was able to achieve their aims, but because it was it was able to not do some of the harm that a, a formal program can do if you get it wrong. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, and I'm Ian Pringle. I've, everyone knows me on the podcast, I think. So, and I've got experience in a couple of ways. First of all, very much similar to you, Phil, in that, in that I've had clients, I, I always say to my clients, look, don't, don't create a loyalty program to understand customers, understand customers and then create a loyalty program. And I've had a client I've been working with for about a year where we've spent a lot of time getting data, especially credit card data, you know, payment card data, which is non-personalized, by the way. It's the token, so you don't know the customer, but you can understand customers by by analyzing the token to understand the complete customer base. And then you can then you can create a loyalty program or not, depending on the, the behaviors that you see, because actually you can create lots of different things within the customer value proposition that can help move the dial for each of those customer segments without having a loyalty program at all. So, you know, I'm with that. And the other one I'd say is, you know, I'm not, I haven't had direct experience of, apart from what you said, Mark, about creating silent tiers, I haven't created a completely silent, non-traditional loyalty program, but I have been at the pub lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> and I think every pub I've ever been to, yeah. every pub I've ever been to knows that Phil sits in the corner and has, has, a, has a half a lager every night, you know, and, um, and, and he's got a little plaque by his thing and that's where his dog sits. And I think, you know, it's a classic example of, of trying to do that personalization, but at scale in, a, in an informal way. What do we think, before we get into the, the formal, informal programs, what do we think the drawbacks of a formal program are? Um, and what, what, what problems, therefore, are non-formal programs trying to solve? Mark, do you want to cover that one off? I think it's a boring answer. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a formal program at all. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the strategy and what the business is trying to achieve. But some businesses are a structured formal loyalty program where the rules of the game are set out. So everyone knows if you do X, you get Y. That makes a lot of sense. People can, can see the rule book and they go, if I play the game... I get the prizes. I'm happy to, to not not be controversial, but I'm happy to offer. Everyone offer likes to be controversial, opinion. Phil. Yeah, no, but the <laughs> thing is, right? The there's a big pro and a con to a formal program, as far as I see it. Right, with a formal program, the downside of a formal program is it rewards everybody. Right, so with a covert program, you can choose to target certain customers. Where with a, with an overt program, with a formal program, everyone, if you do this, you get that. 
and that means it can be expensive. When I, I talked before about the uh, quick service restaurant, their program would have to reward people that bought every Friday and rewarding people bought, that were buying every Friday would just be a big cost to the business. So a formal program, that's the problem with it, is that it, it, if you publish it, you have to do it. But the benefit of that and the downside of an informal program is that if you can, if, if with an informal program, you've got to educate people uh, and they've got to open your emails and read and do what you're asking them to do, right? With, with a formal program, it's open to everybody so customers can go in, see it, and they can then strive for things over time. So the impact, if you get it right, a formal program can do an awful lot more than an informal program, but it is more complex. So it's for me, it isn't one's better than the other. They're, they're very, very different. And, and it's actually a continuum. Like there's, it, it, there's ones in the middle which are sort of half and half. It's also more of a commitment, isn't it? To do a formal program is a commitment to, to be in it. You know, you're in it for a while and you're, and you're giving one size fits all mainly. Uh, Adam, you look like you're desperate to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperate to jump in because one other thing that a formal program does that we haven't spoken about is that as soon as you make the promise, you heighten the expectations of your customers. And in fact, it's a it's an absolute an insight that I've just got from my recent studies that customers have now got a greater expectation because you've made them another promise besides your normal offering of something with your, that your program promises. So they have a greater level of expectation. With an informal program, you've set no expectations because you've promised nothing. You're just using the data to drive the behaviors. And so it's planned spontaneity in an informal program, you, but you don't have the hook. So a formal program, you have the hook. You have the promise, join this, get that. And also in a formal program, especially with tiers and so on, you use the psychology. You've got the gold gradient effect. You've got the endowed progress effect. You've got all the psychology that loyalty programs are famous for. But in an informal program, you don't. I get that. But the problem in some industries is that there is an expectation full stop. And if you don't have a formal program, it's very difficult to, to satisfy that need. There's a, there's a stack of customers out there that know exactly what they spend with you. And they, they say, I spend X with you. I buy some every every Friday, so I deserve something. And the, and the benefit of a formal program is you can tick that box and move on. With an informal program, is is an irritant that you have to surprise and delight them excessively. No, not necessarily. And I, I disagree with you. Yes, I hear you that people expect things these days, and it depends on the category and the business and so on. In fact, I've got a wine retailer who's never had a program, and their customers have been asking them for years and years, why haven't you got a program? Why haven't you got a program? So to that extent, I agree. But when you when you actually just deliver on your basic promise and you'd be a, a brilliant business, you don't necessarily have to have a program. If you've got the data, then you can drive. And in fact, in terms of the surprising, delighting everyone, the, to a certain extent, um, it, it does create a little bit of a, a, a monkey on your back because once you surprise somebody, they might expect it again. Um, so you've got to manage that process. But it's certainly, certainly... There's a lot of pros for an informal program as well. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I'd say there. The first is that in a formal program, once you've achieved the certain goals, especially gold, is then it makes a big, there's a there's obviously a big incentive to have that extra tier, that extra hidden tier, simply because after gold, where do you go? And so that's why yeah. most most airlines have an informal tier that, that, that's, that's for people above that, that, that rewards behavior beyond the gold tier. So in that respect, is it good to have to have maybe a hybrid here, have formal tiers and informal tiers running for some businesses side by side. That way you get you can get the benefits of both. People that have expectations, there's a program for them, like fills it, check the box. 
And for people that are looking for something else, there's there's a bit of a mystery there. There's a bit of a game. Yeah, I like Adam's word, planned spontaneity. I like that. Because you can also measure planned spontaneity. You know, we're not Father Christmas here. We are trying to make money out of this. And you can, you can surprise and delight. And there's less commitment to an informal program. So moving on, where do we think we've seen it work best? Who could, what examples have we got where we said, actually, that, that has worked? I mean, clearly, Adam, you said you're a wine retailer. So have they, through their surprise and delight mechanics, are they saying, actually, now this works well enough for me to continue this on at scale and in a, in a formal structure that, that, that on an informal program? So let me just clarify that I'm busy working on a program and we haven't decided uh, whether it's formal or informal the, for, the, for the wine retailer. But they've got the data um, on from the e-commerce point of view. So they've got the PID, they know the customer, they know how much they spend, they know how often they know what they buy. So we're still discussing and debating whether we have a formal or informal. Where, well, the one the example that, that I shared you on is the hotel group, where absolutely they had a points program with tiers really a poorly run program and for a whole range of reasons costing them so much they took that all away no marketing no points no customer service no tears nothing and you know they, they silenced their, their their base and for for mark who travels a lot and is on his 100th stay when he arrived in his hotel room beautiful bottle of wine um, and all budgeted for across the silent tiers so that we we could know what the cost of running all of that uh, planned spontaneity is but the feedback from the customer you know, the reviews, the referrals and so on, you know, were out of this world for them. So, yeah, that's the example specifically I was talking about. And I'll give you an example where I've seen it worked very well. I mean, it's again, this, this invisible tier piece or the, the, the dynamic was different either way. So at a brand like British Airways or where there's a, a big airline group, the, the, the very top customers are often um, consultants or they have, a, they have a loose affiliation with the brand because they're just big, big, big travellers. Whereas... At Virgin Atlantic, they had a top tier that was for the for, for say the top two hundred and fifty customers, and that worked astonishingly well because they have a very very different relationship with the brand. Because in order to travel that much with a with a brand that has a far more limited um, network, is they are truly truly um, uh, loyal to the brand, and therefore it was much more of a club and much more of a of a of a, of a personal relationship they had with the brand for those very very top customers and therefore the gold guest list and and the top 250 they were they were very different um dynamics does that make sense just because of the nature of the two different airline brands but i i, I do wonder that this this conversation or this discussion is like, like interesting and and there certainly is informal um informal tiers within formal programs etc but from the for the masses, where I see most informal programs is actually in the the smaller, like say the smaller retailers that wouldn't be able to have a big program that would be front of top of wallet. So for the for them, because because to me I've I've often said if you're not if you're not one of the top three cards in their wallets, you're, you're kind of wasting your time. So for the cards, the the retailers and and the, and the businesses that won't be able to get into the top of the wallet having an informal program often is is a really good option in a, certainly in australia there's stacks of of them and they're almost like hybrids you've got people like dan murphy's um coco republic uh, those those play those businesses they collect your data they always identify you and the only thing they've got is a few member pricing right so dan murphy's probably does a bit more than most but this member pricing thing um so that there's a, there's enough member prices across the store that when you go you want to identify yourself so they get the data which we're after 
but the actual cost of the business is, and the complexity is pretty much nothing. There's, there's many of those here. I'm not sure I would describe them as an informal loyalty program, though it's, it's almost like two-tier pricing. But because um, that's what you it's know, still a formal it. promise. It's still a promise. Hey, join my dance. My dance is a formal promise. It's a marketed program promise. So what it actually looks like, you're right. It's not tiered gold, silver points. It's got none of those structures. But the promise is, as you say, Phil, is it's member price, exclusive offers, events, personalized. It's still a promise. It's still a program by definition. Um, and you're right. They've trained their team incredibly to ask you every single time, are you a member so they can collect your data? But it's still a promise. It's still a formal program. Hmm. I've got I've got a good one. You're like just came to me now. Ferrari, right? I knew so, you'd have a Ferrari, Mark. Something something told me you might have a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, so I, don't, I don't know if you know this. You, you can't just walk into a Ferrari dealership and buy any car you want. They won't let you, right? So Ferrari has this formal, unofficial kind of loyalty program where. Uh, I, like, have you ever seen they announce like a new model and they say, oh, by the way, it's sold out, right? It's because people have already bought it before they even announce it, right? So the, the idea of Ferrari is you start your Ferrari journey and they'll let you buy the cheap cars. Go buy a used car. Go buy the, the stuff that is hard for them to move, right? Own it for a few years and then and then you go back and then they'll, they might let you buy the next car up. Maybe they'll let you. So you kind of need permission to buy that. And you've kind of got to work your way up within Ferrari. So you've got to go to the Ferrari track days. You've got to, you know, buy the merch. You've got to, you know, socialize and do the right things. And when you kind of work your way up, then they'll this access unlocks for you to, to buy more cars. And so that's why they say you're either, you know, a Ferrari driver or a Ferrari owner. That's, that's the only reason I don't have one, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's just quickly go around where we think the keys to success for an informal loyalty program. Uh, Adam, would you like to kick us off with that? And number one is data. Yeah. It's just you've got, and per, if you want to communicate, you've got a personally identifiable data. So you can, and you know, with, with permission to contact. Well, if I could draw you up on that, I don't think you yeah. need, there's, there's a growing number of, of, of ways in which you can use um, non-personalized identified data now. So on tokenized, on tokenized yeah. cards, there's people like Adyen, who are out of the Netherlands, where yep. they will use their card data to. So Nike, for example, have a loyalty program where they'll track your spend on a on a particular credit card, and then once they see certain behaviours, they'll ask you, "Do you want to lo- join the loyalty program?" So they're targeting okay. your behaviour based on non-loyalty, based on untargeted okay. data, but then they're then asking you to join. So I get fair I, enough. You, yeah, fair so. enough. I think I'm seeing it from a different angle. I'm seeing it as a total holistic informal program you said you know what are the keys to success if you want to communicate so if you want to drive comms you need personally identifiable data to list connected to behavior and and the e-commerce the pure play e-commerce brands or businesses can do that because of the nature of the business and so that's why you know i I spoke about within a program the data yeah phil what about you oh i agree it's the data but it's also it's your ability to actually use the data so, because yeah. uh, I, I constantly come across businesses and, and they, they become obsess, obsessive about collecting it. Um, mm. Some of them report on it, but there's an awful lot of them that don't actually t- turn it into like proper, like actionable um, offers to, or, or communications to customers. Um, and that, that's the secret. You've got to get the data and then turn it into something. If, to make an overt customer program work, uh, 
I think it's Adam saying it's got you know, that spontaneous thing or, or planned spontaneity. But that takes a lot of work and it takes a fair amount of skill. And, Dermot? and so does a loyalty program. A formal program takes a lot of work and a lot of skill. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we don't just put formal programs up and set, set and forget. And we all know that uh, they take a lot of work and smarts. And, and um, so they both take a lot of work. There's no doubt. I don't think you know, the kind of work is different. And then Mark? A couple of takeaways here. Unofficial programs, if the if you could obscurify the value in some way so it's more subjective for the customer, I think that that, mm. that can win. And then for an official program, it's really just about a set criteria of rules and published benefits so people know the rules of the game. Anyone can can play. Perfect. Well, thanks very much for your time then this morning. So thanks, thanks very much, Adam. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. And thanks, Phil. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you, Adam. Uh, Ian. And Adam. <laughs> thank you. And Mark. <laughs> And Mark, welcome back to the team. Well, nice to see you again. Thanks, Ian. It's been a blast. Well, thanks, guys. If you like this podcast, please like, share, and comment on the LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast. And we'll look forward to your company again. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>